Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Life Lessons with Kim. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to do something that I've never really done before, but I've been toying with the idea with because it's a part of me that I love and that I'm being reintroduced to. So I thought I might as well share it with you guys. Um, I'll be doing a book review today on a book that I think every Black girl should read before they go to university. Um, This is the book I wish I would have finished reading um, when I started going to uni. But technically, I did just after I graduated. <laughs> so three years later, um, and the book is called Taking Up Space, The Black Girls Manifesto for Change, written by Chelsea Kwai Ke and Ore Ogun Biyi. I'm so sorry if I butchered any of your names. I still think you guys are amazing women. And thank you for putting this out there. Um, so basically, I decided to get into reading again. And I've been slowly, you know, doing that like but I was really busy during my undergrad especially at the final semester but during the summer and the summer break I've been really trying to get back into that and it's been really fun I've read all sorts of books but yeah this is one that I really wanted to share with others because the essence of my podcast is something I would have liked to hear before I went to uni and being honest about how it is to adults and how to you know get through that so This is going to be the first time I've ever given a book review on this podcast and in general. I don't usually do this. Um, And this is more of like a self-help, self-improvement, like it's more personal kind of book. Um, Just let me know if you enjoy this content. Please do leave a comment below. I would love, love to hear your thoughts. And I'd love to do more of this kind of thing. So, yeah. So back to the book, it is called Taking Up Space. If you did not hear that the first time, here you go. Um, And overall, it was a good read, a bit slow in the beginning, I'm not going to lie. I think it's because it focused a lot on the on the UK and getting in and admission, all those kinds of things. And I do know the process, but I do feel like some of the sentiments I may not have shared, which is maybe why I didn't finish the book to begin with. But after reading it, like in its entirety, I think it's a lot more similar to what I've gone through and what other people may have actually gone through worldwide and are going through worldwide, especially when you enter into a PWI. If you don't know what that is, check out my other episode with Christina and Sally, and that is a predominantly white institution in terms of university. So where you are usually the minority. So the authors, they went to Oxbridge, which is a very, very impressive big ups to you. And they kind of shared their experiences and what they learned and what they believe the guide is. Um, for other young black girls who will be in institutions, not just Oxbridge, but just universities where they are the minority. Um, I do feel like it was very, very informative and very, very interesting and very, very funny. Um, But I do feel like some of the parts could have been developed more, but considering the audience and the demographic, which is young black girls, probably from, you know, in the diaspora and things like that, I totally get why there was a certain limit on things. I would give this a score of 8.5 out of 10. I believe that this is a must read. Um, and their guide, I think it's very, very useful for a lot of people, especially those that are nervous about uni and nervous about how like the change is going to affect them. There's definitely a lot of relatable experiences. And I think it's something that all Black girls worldwide can relate to. 
Okay, I do have to warn you guys that this episode might be a little bit long, but I am going to try um, summarize my extensive notes um, into little snippets, the things that I find most important. And I'm doing this because I bought the book from them. So I will leave um, some links in the UK area and the EU area, just so that other people can support them and support the work that they're trying to do. Um, I do believe that is very, very important. And yeah, you know, you still gotta buy the book, even if I give you a book review. Um, so yeah, so in regards to the first chapter, I read it in 2019 or 2020, which is like three to four years ago. So I don't really remember much, but I do remember that obviously it was an introduction and it largely discussed the barriers that people of color and especially women of color face and the institutional barriers um, that are faced when getting into these um, institutions, particularly um, universities. And this one was the part that was really, really UK heavy. So for me, who was not going to the UK, I was just like, okay, like I get it because I did apply to unis, but like I wasn't going there ultimately. So it was a little bit hard to relate, but I want to encourage you for it not to stop you from reading the other five chapters, because I do believe that they have so much in there that so many people can relate to. Um, in regards to chapter two, this discusses how academia is mostly European centered, or should I say like Western centered, basically white centered, right? Um, and this one kind of hit a little bit deep for me. I'm um, especially at the accuracy of it, like how the reading is not diversified and how the curriculum is very much Western, even though I did a program that was supposed to be international, right? And yeah, they discussed one or two things in like constitutional law or like, property law with like land in South Africa and then for constitutional it was like India and South Africa but it's like examples it's not necessarily like learning the international system I think I probably learned more like civil and common law but like the northern type um so yeah so that was a little bit disappointing and even in regards to my thesis I genuinely thought that I would not get the mark that I got because I opted not to talk about the EU or the West. Um, I mentioned it like a little bit, but that was just in comparison to AFTA, the new African Continental Free Trade Agreement. What's up? Sorry, I am a trade investment nerd. So that's my kind of shit. Um, but yeah, so I didn't necessarily feel, not that I didn't have the support, I ended up finding the support and my thesis supervisor was good, but there's also someone else who I'd been working with and I did a research internship for her and she is Turkish, but she is not, but like she's Turkish. And therefore I think she understands like the need to center around other regions and, you know, look at developments elsewhere. So we looked up in like Latin America, learned about the Asian one. Like I did so many things. So that really forced me to like push myself and therefore the agreements that the trade agreements that I was looking at or the literature that I was looking at specifically focused on developing countries um, and Africa and Mercosur, which is the Latin American one. And yeah, just like any trade agreement groups that weren't European, that was kind of like my focus. Um, 
And there was an interesting topic about how they brought up about how most of the time academic institutions outsource, you know, the pivotal like diversity and inclusion work to student organizations, sometimes private companies. But in my aspect, it was mostly student organizations. So like the African one or the one that I was a part of. Um, if you know my Instagram, you know, I was a part of it. I don't want to say it out here, but it was an amazing experience. And yes, we did workshops for them. And yes, we're responsible for talks and making sure that our voices get out there. But sometimes it's like, maybe the universities are a little bit lazy to do their work because it's something that they should head as, you know, the management or the administration when it's students doing it. Like, I feel like they expect you to know everything about being black when in reality, there's so many different kinds of black people, Africans, Caribbeans, um, African-Americans, and even in other parts of Asia, they are indigenous black people. I've searched it up. Um, but yeah, like they just expect you to know everything and people don't realize that the black experience or even just the minority experience in general is so varied and is so different. And therefore like we can't cater for everyone and we can't necessarily do the work because we're still learning ourselves. These are like teenagers to like people in their early twenties. Of course, they're going to be confused. Of course, they're also going to be, you know, thinking a lot of things. They don't know everything. For me, I grew up in a country where I was not the minority. So even though I am aware of the things that happened, it was not necessarily my everyday experience outside of my high school because my high school was predominantly white. But to have the language to actually express what is going on, what is frustrating, what is holding us back, that's something that I had to really research about. And I'm just lucky that I'm not really, I don't want to say I'm knowledgeable, but I am pretty aware of the issue because I wanted to understand, you know, our place in the world as Black people, as people who we actually aren't of the minority, but in certain countries we are. So yeah, the fact that they outsource this work, that that's a little bit shady. That's a little bit like, yeah, we're not going to really, you know, do what we need to do, but we're going to do what we need to do so that we don't get canceled. I will say though, this year there has been a push for more um, well-being diversity and inclusion um, committees within my ex-university. And I'm so proud of that because I was a part of that and I got to express my thoughts before I go so that the next students aren't left, you know, with nothing. Because I believe that even if you are, you are not going to benefit from a change that you do, at least you would have done the work to do it. Um, so yeah, that was that. Was that. Um, and well, not that was that, but my belief is that even if the work is hard, the work has to be done instead of just complaining about it. So yeah, for any future people out there, if you wanna get involved and stuff, if you wanna see the change, be the change, okay? Um, and in regards to my last thoughts in, on the second chapter, it was talking about how sometimes it's normal to feel alone because of the lack of representation in your degree. And I really felt that because I feel like I was one of at least three black girls within my, um, within my year group and <laughs> at my honors graduation, I think I was one of two. And I don't know, it's just, it's really sad. This is really personal, obviously. And it's not like I active, like I actively noticed it, but for me, it was like, okay, if I'm gonna be one of the few minority, then I gotta go hard, you know, like I gotta show them that like, 
we are actually good and we are people who work and we are people, you know, who do stuff and making sure that, you know, I leave a road behind for other people to travel on. That's really, really important to me, like always making sure that there's a ladder and it's not just, you know, you reach the ceiling and then you close, you know, the door behind you. Um, and even at an academic level, they were not really varied in terms of, you know, who the lecturers were, like even they were not even women, they were not even like, not that they weren't even women, they were women, but they weren't enough. Like the average professor was like a white straight old man, that's the truth. Um, and the few women of color that I did see, which were two in my experience, I felt like I really, really connected with them. Um, and yeah, they just gave me more, just more, what can I say? not excitement, but encouragement to go further. And that even though academia is not my thing, I still felt like I needed mentors. And I only found my mentor towards the end. And that's because I worked with her on a research project. And we got really close and we talked about a lot of things. And it really showed me that like, yo, we might be different races and stuff, but as a woman, a woman of color, I can do this. And because she's doing it, I can do it too. So that is something I'll always be grateful for. But it only took me the last year to find that most of the time I was just banking on myself and like, okay, this is what it is. But I do think that it's important to reach out like on LinkedIn. Um, I've seen a couple of people that I do admire who are doing what I want to do in the future. And I think it just helps a lot more in terms of seeing people do, you know, or having access to people who are at a level that you want to be at, that you may not have access to within the university space. So that's the second chapter. So the second chapter talks about mental health. And I think this is a topic in my community and my community at large that needs to really be talked about. And I do feel like it's getting more into conversation and people just aren't like, you know, blaming it on demons or something. Um, but yeah, it does. The chapter does hit home because I do have mental health issues myself. I do suffer from mild depression and I developed anxiety in second year. So those are at bay. Um, but sometimes I do have to keep myself in check and I do have my own regular mechanisms and, you know, I've gone to therapy, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not ashamed to admit it because if you can admit your problems, it's easier than hiding them. And if you find ways of coping with it better, I think you learn yourself more but you also learn how to actually deal with life and big life changes but that's for another day but in terms of mental health they kind of say some things about how obviously it's hard to you know speak up in our community about it um and all our experiences are not the same we may come from the same demographic even though there are subsets of groups within that demographic um yeah every experience is different and not everyone may get it they also talk about black excellence and the connotations of that and how sometimes it is like our understanding of it revolves around white validation or being like them or just as good as them um for me personally black excellence is something that you know has been 50 50 for me i used to roll with it at the beginning i think now less so but I think for me, it will always be, I have to work twice as hard because that's the world that we're born in, you know. Um, it's not a joke. Even if you come from a background that is well off, um, the way that they look at you, you know, you are black first when you enter a room. So that's just something that I am conscious of. And even though it might be unhealthy sometimes, I personally do not base it on white validation. I think I base it more on myself and the things that I want to achieve, but it can be negative as well because 
you are not just the saying of black excellence. You do not have to do everything great. I think it takes away the power to make mistakes or the humanity of failing and learning and realizing that you're not good at everything, but you are good at some things and finding your passion in that and trying and trying again. So that's just, you know, something that is still 50-50 for me, but it's something that they do discuss. Um, and in regards to mental health, one thing that I am struggling with or struggled with was finding a therapist that side that represents your situation or not your situation, but like knows how to understand where you come from. And I did not have access to this in the Netherlands, but I did do one event with, um, so it was my organization and the African student organization of that time. And we did do a mental health event where we got to connect with um, therapists who are people of color. And I learned so much. And that was the one time where I felt really understood and really like someone actually got me you know and i do think that it's more important that there's more awareness for those resources wherever you are in the world um yeah because the alternative is just finding a therapist back home who you call like on you know whatsapp or zoom or something like that but obviously that's not the same um but yeah like people who understand the situation that you're in migrating to a new country to be in europe da, 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 da. like that was probably one of the best events um and i'm so grateful that you know the group of people who were part of that were able to make that happen because it's something that does need to be, you know, spoken about more and tackled more. And another thing that's discussed in this chapter is the importance of self-care. <laughs> Second year for me, I did not have any kind of self-care and it was due to the lack of a work-life balance. I think especially when you're in uni and your parents are paying so much money and you're like, your parents, whoever, your guardians, however you got a scholarship, whatever. But someone out there is paying a lot of money for you to, you know, do things and to succeed. And in most, okay, I'm going to talk about from my experience, but generally speaking, I do feel like education is really prized because we see it as a as a way to improve yourself, as a way to get better, as a way to, you know, earn more money and stuff like that. And even though that system may not be perfect and it's probably crumbling down now and, you know, you can do without university, but some families are still of the belief that we still want you to learn. We still want you to, you know, have something to your name so that when people don't want to listen to you, you're like, no, but you have the accreditation for people to listen to you when you walk into a room. So I think that's also like, what pushed me a lot to maybe not take care of myself. But I, towards the end, I do feel like I gained, like the end of second year, I did gain some kind of balance in between of like, you know, I have work to do and I have activism work to do and I have board year stuff to do, but I also have Kim stuff to do. I also have friend stuff to do. I also have stuff to do with my boyfriend and things like that. So I do think towards the end, I kind of had it. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was a rocky, you know, start to, you know, finally figure that out and finally be like, okay, so this is how I can have fun and, you know, still work. So if I work within my hours, you know, and actually use my time wisely, I can have more fun for myself and I can go to the gym and I can go shopping. I can do all these things. So I think that's just something that's a learning curve. As long as you're aware of your issues, um, and you don't let it lead you to the point of a burnout, I think that should be okay. Cause I think everyone is always figuring that out anyway. Hey guys, we're moving a lot faster than I thought we would, but hey, that's good. So in regards to the fourth chapter, it's called finding spaces and it's talking about finding a place where you feel like you belong within this majority white, you know, um, area. 
I think. Anyway, um, that was a little bit weird, but anyway. So basically, um, in the beginning, she talks about how she felt like one of the authors felt that in the first couple of weeks, she felt like there was no one who would care if she died or would notice if she died. And I remember feeling those feelings too, but I feel like I found friends where I'd often see them regularly or that, not the book falling anyway, but um, I would see them regularly. And I think I did find like people who actually care, like, okay, if Kim does not message, you know, or if I don't see her, she's not okay. So I think it's, it's quite nice when you find your people, but I do have to say that that takes time. And, you know, some people are just there for a season, but the fact that, not the fact, I think you just need to surround yourself with people who care for you, you know, and people who actually legitimately care about you as a human being, not just, you know, I'm going to go partying with you today, da, 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 we're going to do this, this, and this. Like, I think there's so much more to life than that. And having those people be there to show up for you, I think that's always really, really important. She also discusses, you know, Freshers Week, how awkward that is. I'm not going to lie. I always felt like Freshers Week was very white for me. Um, I, I just don't think it was suited for people like me. And I'm not trying to be closed-minded or anything, but yeah, I just didn't feel like I belonged. And even though like I literally went to a majority white high school and I did have white friends here and there, um, but it's like, I don't know, the European white is kind of different. I'm not going to lie. Um, and even if it was international, I felt like it was international of one certain area, one certain demographic. And I, I'm not going to lie. I went to the beginning of COVID. I know some people paid for it, but like, I wasn't even like trying to try it. I was like, yeah, no, I'm good with that. Um, but I do say, I will say that I did find friends off of Bumble and things like that, or just through class or through meeting other people at parties and things like that. So that's how I found my people. And not all of my friends are black because, you know, you got to have some little bit of diversity and all that. Um, but yeah, I think I did not find my friends at Freshers Week, but I did find my friends through alternative modes. And that's okay too, you know, like Freshers Week is not for everyone. And I think the other problem with Freshers Week is like the whole, how like over drinking is normalized. I come from Zimbabwe where drinking, like over drinking is normalized, but I'm just saying in a u university setting where it's a thing that is used to open up and be more free or just like, you know, that's how you cope. And, you know, you have to do this. You have to chug a keg or something like that. Like, I, I don't do that. I don't even like beer. Um, I like cocktails though, but how that it's, in order for you to fit in, you have to drink. And I don't think that's true. I mean, I personally do, but I know for some people that they can still have a good time without the alcohol. And if you are in a group or like um, a friendship setting where that is respected, I think you should be fine, but don't feel pressured to do that if that's not what you wanna do, you know? Um, so that's very, very important. What's also important is a finding a club that plays the music that you like. Me and my friends found one or two spots, or like mostly events actually, where they'd play the music that, you know, we usually vibe to. And that made us feel like we belonged more in the city that we were in. And, you know, we were a part of the community and some people recognize that, you know, there is a need for this music. I am moving to a bigger city, a more diverse city. So that is something I'm really, really excited about because I'm sure there'll be plenty more events, like different kinds of events, maybe even, you know, a club that's consistent, you know? So that's just something I'm looking forward to, but find a place that you like, that you feel like you belong and, you know, just makes you feel good about yourself. And, 
they also discussed the importance of like community student organizations, like, you know, African societies and things like that. There was one at my old uni. I don't think there's one at my new uni, but I think I'm too lazy to start one up because I done already did a board year and that was, that was enough experience for me, but we'll see. You'll see. You never know. Um, but yeah, I was president. I don't like saying this, but I do like saying this because it was hard work and, you know, I did it. But I was president of um, blog, which is the Black Ladies of Khronia, um in 21-22. And yeah, that was a really interesting thing. But what I really, really appreciated about that organization and the African organization as well is just how hard we worked, you know, for our community to feel like they belonged and to make sure that, you know, people understood that, you know, we do see you. If you want to be a part of it, come join. But I don't think it's fair to just limit to finding your spaces, you know, with people that look like you. I think there's so much... um there's so much to be learned and so much to be, you know, experienced when you do have international friends or friends that aren't like you, exactly like you. I mean, you wouldn't believe this, but one of my best friends at uni, okay, you guys would believe this because, you know, you follow me. Um, but one of my friends at uni, she was um, Arab, European. I'm just going to say that for her identity's sake. Um, and we had so many things in common, but you wouldn't think that because we come from opposite sides of the world, you know, but I do feel like, although it is important to find your space, I do feel like your belonging is not just limited to people who, who look like you. It's, it's important to find people who love you for you and people who are willing to learn and you willing to learn about them, you know, um, and just finding a little, you know, halfway between that. I think those are really special. And yeah, I just, I don't believe all your friends have to be back for you to be, you know, a pro black person, you know, as long as your friends are allies and you're allies of their causes, I believe it's all fair. Um, and they also talk about the idea of black sisterhood, which goes well with, you know, my board year and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> this was so funny because I think you expect to, you know, when you're in these circumstances where there's a few of you, you expect that, oh my gosh, we have to all like each other. We have to all be friends. You know, we can't be putting all the other sisters down. But I think it's a fair point to say that, you know, solidarity does not mean you have to be best friends with every other black girl you meet. Trust me, I've tried, been there, done that, didn't work. And I felt like, I thought, you know, like, y'all, y'all supposed to understand me. And some people genuinely don't because it's not just about what race you are, but it's also how you grew up and how you, you know, see the world and how you were raised. That is the most important thing. Everyone was raised differently. So just because you look the same doesn't mean all your thoughts are going to be the same. It doesn't mean all your beliefs are going to be the same or like your morals and your standards on things. So that's just something that you have to, you know, knock into your head is that just because you don't like every black girl that you meet does not mean that you are in any way less like, shape or form you know not contributing to the cause or you're damaging the cause because i mean hey people are people you're gonna like some you're not gonna like some and i don't think it's fair to like keep yourself up in this you know like yeah i have to be friends with everyone even if they disrespect me da, da, da. like nah nah we ain't about that so just make sure that you you got that in your head okay we're actually getting through this a lot faster than i thought we would but i'm happy because i still want you guys to enjoy it and i don't want it to be too long um but on to the fifth chapter which oddly is the one that i wrote the most notes about because i think it's the most interesting one for me and just like 
just discussing certain things. So it's about desirability and relationships. And I like things. So obviously I like this one. And it, you know, I really related on a lot of um, you know, things that were were said in the chapter. So basically they talk about how desirability functions in uni as a black girl. And for me, I'm also plus size. So we're gonna add that, you know, that little thing into it. Um and just the stereotypes that people may have, like, you know, black women are more sexual or, you know, they're loud or they're not to be taken seriously. Just like things like that that are not necessarily true about, you know, individual, you know, people. Um, and how at uni, <laughs> your desirability or the desirability politics can mean a lot of rejection, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of hopelessness and like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to find anyone. Like no one's ever going to find me attractive or no one's ever going to find me, you know, beyond the need to, you know, just have sex with or things like that. But it can also mean, you know, like it can be a time where you actually find how worthy you are. And that is not through someone else, but that is just through yourself and how much you deserve and how much, you know, you are worthy of a good partner and a partner that sees you more, you know, than just what's in between your legs and things like that. Um, they also talk about how most of the times it's, you know, the lighter mixed girls or like the white girls that are preferred. And that I can totally understand. Like for me, I don't think I necessarily took it to heart because I was just like, yo, I'm me, you want me, you don't, I don't give a fuck because I have to want you too. But I think like sometimes it can strike a nerve like, oh my gosh, I'm not light enough or like I'm not white enough. But I will always be proud of my parents and their ancestry and my grandparents. And I can't look myself in the mirror and not say that I'm not proud to be who I am. So I think for me, because my parents always directed not directed me, but they made me believe that, not made me believe, they they taught me that, you know, you are beautiful the way that you are. There's nothing about yourself that you have to change, be it your hair, be it, you know, your nose, be it the way that you look. So for that, I'm always like, you know what, I know I'm a bad bitch. So that didn't really like touch me as much, but I know that some people do think about it and I have thought about it, you know, quick quick moments um but yeah just something just to mention uh, she talks about how she left for university um with the expectation that like you know or she talks about how most of the time black girls go into university with the with the expectation that they are not going to find a partner and that it's more of a time for you to work and to work hard and to you know do what you got to do to make your future happen and i think that was the same for me because of my past experience, I did not think that I was desirable enough or I was good enough to be worthy of a good and healthy relationship. And for me, uni was a time I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, you know, build myself, I'm, build myself up. I'm not going to do, you know, not like dating and stuff, but just like that wasn't my main aim. Like I did not go to uni to find a husband as lots of people do. And I mean, it's not a bad thing because it does make sense. Like there's lots of people your age, there's lots of ambitious people, all that kind of jazz. Um, but for me, I just was like, you know what, that's not my main focus. I'm going there for my education. I'm going there to better myself. I'm going there to do things that I want to do and to, you know, experience who I am. And I think it's just funny enough that, not funny enough, but it's, I'm grateful. But it's just, it was kind of like, a, I think it's a destiny thing because if it didn't happen, I don't know where I would have met this person. But we did meet when I was in uni. Um, 
and that just so happened to be a partner that you know has become more permanent um and I'm grateful for that, but I did not go with the mindset of having, you know, I'm going to uni to look for a husband. I was like, I might have fun in uni, but I'm going there for me. And I'm happy that I did that because if you center your world around, you know, finding a relationship or finding a man, I don't know, it, it just doesn't work for me. Like from some, for some people it does work, but for me personally, no, because then all your decisions are according to them and you might make some really dumb decisions and it may be something that does not last for a long time. So that's why I'm always like, you got to make sure that you're good first, you know, and it's about you. And if someone comes along that, you know, matches your ideal and your passion and your, well, not matches your passion, but just aligns with your future vision, then that's great. And that's great to find a partner and someone, a partner to do things with, because I'm very grateful for that. But I did not go to uni to find a husband, just so you know that. Um, <laughs> the funniest part is they talk about the whole black love thing and how, you know, black girls are very much pressured to stay, you know, with the same race and to, you know, you know, they have to be the people that continue to make sure that black love works. But people often forget that it comes two ways. And they just speak about this in the book. And I do really relate where it's like, oftentimes, black guys are not given the same pressure to uphold the black love standard. A matter of fact, most of the times black guys tend to date lighter girls or whiter girls so that they can easier like assimilate easier or integrate easier. Um, and they're not like I've I've seen so many guys that aren't really interested in black women. And I'm not gonna lie, they are some. I'm not talking about everyone, I'm not generalizing here. Um, but most times it's it's you're not the preferred one, you know, you're not the ones that they want to have fun with. You're the one they may want to marry later on, but you're not the one that they want to have fun with. And I find it so weird that we have to wait until they're ready for us to experience a healthy kind of love. And I was talking about this in my next episode that you will hear with my friends. Um, but yeah, it was just I'm like, I'm not going to wait for you. Like, why do I have to suffer and, you know, be the one that feels not wanted and not loved and not appreciated and not attractive or yeah, like, no, I'm not going to do that in the name of black love. No, I rebuke that spirit. Sorry. I rebuke the spirit of suffering. So that's just, that's just my thing. Um, and then they also talk about interracial dating. So for those of you who don't know, I am with, my partner is white. So I'm with a white man. Um, and I found it interesting in the book, how she said that, like, we grow up thinking that, you know, like, you know, white guys aren't going to like us. You get bullied in the school, playground, all those kinds of things. Um, and for me, I think because I was lucky enough to grow up in South Africa, I think racism always a bit more divided. But in South Africa, for the most part, it's very, like, peaceful. Like, they do have some of their problems. But for the most part, on the surface, it is peaceful, especially as children. Um, and I think that it's something that is taught, but it's not necessarily true for everyone. And I feel like if we don't want to be stared at as stereotypes, we can't stereotype other people. And like, you know, going outside of your race may not be your thing, it may not be your type, that's fine. But if you are in your mind, if you are putting that block up, not because it's something that you truly believe, but because it's something that you've been, you know, taught to believe, sometimes you have to look at yourself and your bias and stuff because someone, you know, not maybe afraid to approach you, but just like 
it's not it may not be always the case like i think now with like the internet and stuff like that you see dozens of couples that look different you know whether you know they're asian indian black white you know um hispanic latin american things like that you know um so if you still have that ideal i think that's on you i'm not ideal idea but also it's just what you're open to and what you're willing to open yourself up to in the world you know i think that's also very important in how you conduct things so i don't think it's necessarily a true thing you know um yeah they just talk about a lot about you know being an interracial interracial relationship and the politics involved with that which i do really relate to but i'm not gonna say because you need to go and buy their book um and again they talk about how you know how black boys kind of move around within the uni space and i did mention it a little bit and i think they really delved in well with this topic and they really do talk about the, the fact that how sometimes black boys are sexualized and fetishized and they ignore it because it increases you know their chance at assimilating you know into like you know the culture in quotation marks if you could see me and how it becomes a tool of validation for them um but yeah that one is really interesting. I'm not a black man, so I don't necessarily want to talk about it. Not talk about it, but I don't want to talk too much about it. I think you really need to go and read the book to understand exactly what they're saying. Um, they do also talk about the fact that in uni, obviously sex in uni is like, you know, a big taboo topic for us African girls and just the black community at large. And in a lot of other communities, I know that too but they do talk about it and how to navigate it and a really important thing is they talk about the sexual violence of poc women particularly black women that are not taken seriously enough and not respected enough and i do know that there are not enough resources for us as students to make sure that you know we are okay or we get the help that we deserve or if we decide to press charges that we can and i do feel like within the whole university space and not just for black women but for women at large that does need to get better and that does need to change so yeah i think they have some really really good topics and you know some topics that i think everyone can relate to or find some importance about. So yeah, it is a must read, but we are about to get to the last chapter. So here we go. I think the last chapter, chapter six, which is called Blacktivism, I think it's the hardest one to grapple with because obviously it's like your core identity. And I speak about a lot of the things that I do care about and the things that I do notice and you know, one of the things is like the work that we do being in the student organizations or, you know, being a part of a movement or an event that makes people belong or fight for something. Um, it's very hard. And I used to be, I think, more of an eccentric activist when I was younger, especially on my days on Twitter and stuff like that. Um, and I think now I've toned not toned it down but i think i've directed it in a manner where i can find balance with that in my whole life um because it is hard it's very difficult difficult it's very mentally draining and you know it got to a point where i had been filled with so much negativity um and this was my last year of high school and i had noticed like every single little thing and i'm telling you that is very hard to go out in your day and notice every single little thing that may be against you and your people and you just have to go with the flow you know um so yeah i think i've now 
I've matured in my activism. Like, I think if you watch, like, Dear White People, you kind of see her transition, you know, how she's, like, so activist, then not. Then hopefully she finds the middle. I haven't finished it yet. But that's another good one to watch. Um, with your boo or your bae or your friend or your boys. It's a very good one to watch. Um, so, yeah, the work is hard and difficult. And I feel like it's important to find some kind of balance within it and realize how much you are willing to give in terms of that. But one thing that I want to do say that's really, really important. If you and I don't fight for us, for ourselves, who will? Like, that's always my thing. Like, I hate when I see people complaining, but they do nothing about it. They just want to sit and, you know, watch it happen. And I'm like, why would you tolerate this kind of disrespect? And not even beyond disrespect, it's discrimination, it's racism, it's microaggressions. It's a whole lot of institutional and systemic issues that are happening. And if you have something to say, you better get up and do something about it. That is always like my main thing because you can complain as much as you want, but if you don't fight for yourself, who will? So yeah, that's just like my words of wisdom or whatever. <laughs> um, and yeah, and just how they also talk about how sometimes we feel the obligation to fight. And I'm not gonna lie, I do feel that obligation, but I don't necessarily feel it in a negative way because I've found a way to, you know, make sure that it does not take over my whole life or affect me in a negative way. But at the same time, being that said, I am where I am today because other black women fought for me to be here, be it in Zimbabwe. I often think about how my grandmothers would never have the experiences that I'm experiencing right now. Um, and just in general, I went to a private school, you know, my parents gave me a good education. I got, you know, got to drive a car, got to do all these things, got to see some parts of the world. Those are things that not a lot of people would have been given the opportunity to do. So I am here because of them. And in African culture, this whole thing of like Ubuntu, I am because, you know, we are. And that's very, very true. I am not just me, myself and I. I am, you know, the result of generations of women and men, you know, fighting for, you know, a better place to be like a better world to live in, you know, and I feel like I have a responsibility to make sure that I, you know, play a part in that because I don't know, I don't think it would sit right with me if I did not. So yeah, that's a really interesting thing that they do talk about. Um, huh, a funny thing that they also talk about is about the whole, so in the UK would be B-A-M-E and how that's termed to every minority and how that kind of dilutes the activism work. But they also do talk about the interesting thing about how we may be people of color, but we definitely know that, you know, other minorities do look down upon us as well. And it's such like a sad thing to see um, because I'm not going to lie, I feel like there's racism in every culture. Um, but it's always, I feel like black people that are, that bear the worst brunt of that. And that's really sad because most of the time we're all fighting together. And I personally, I'm very, very much, you know, trying to make sure that all women of color, you know, not have a better life, but have better chances. And it's it's part of the work that I did in the past and the work that I do do on a social level and things like that. Um, but sometimes it's so sad because it's like, would they stick up for me? <laughs> and I know some will, some of my friends will, but what about the people that aren't my friends? What about the people that just stay quiet? What about the people that feel like 
it's not important enough to them for it to happen or like for them to actually take action and that kind of makes me sad because it is very very true and again not everyone is like that but i think that most people most people are and that's something really sad that we really need to fix um yeah the last thing <laughs> i don't want to say this last one because y'all y'all gonna fight me for this i'm gonna just keep quiet but you should read the book they have a really interesting sentiment that i really do you know that i really do like um but yeah the last thing is just about how we need to decenter whiteness in terms of activist spaces, especially if like if you see like the feminist movement or like the LGBTQ plus I movement. And in regards to that, something that I find really fucked up with that. So there was this one TikTok, I think it was during COVID times, where the guy was like listing all the countries where like it was like legal to be lgbtqi plus ai plus and the ones where it wasn't and most of the ones where it wasn't was like africa and like other developing countries and i was like yeah but you know like in the west da, 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 da. i just want to say that that is someone that does not is not aware of their history so if you are aware of the of your history i'm just going to delve a little bit on the african part so culturally and historically you know being LGBTQAI plus was very much accepted. And there's so many historical, you know, like things about it, about like queens who had, you know, wives and, you know, when the guys go off to war, whatever they do, things like that. But it wasn't necessarily like looked down upon. It only started to become, you know, a negative thing when colonization happened. And colonization is mostly um, British, the British, the French, and the Portuguese within Africa. And there's obviously some that I'm missing, like the German, da da da, here, here, here. But most of the time it came with, I think, the white centeredness of Christianity and religion in general. Um, and if you think about it, the most common position, missionary. It is called missionary because that's how the missionaries taught people to do it the right way. So things like the Kama Sutra and things like that, that people are rediscovered now, even though it's been in India for ages. Um, yeah, that, that stuff was banned or looked at as ungodly. And it's because of, you know, the indoctrination that we are where we are as a continent, though there are some continents that are doing better. I mean, not continents, I mean, some countries that are doing better, like South Africa, um, you know, that do allow um, um, marriages, same-sex marriages and things like that. Not everyone is there because we colonization is still very recent. It might be so far away in the history books, but the effects are still real today and they are still very, very much apparent. And I think, if you think like that, you got to read your history and you have to see where it comes from and where this deep seated, not hatred, but where people disapprove of something. But if you really look into, you know, your history, you will find that it was not always like that. There are certain things that made it like that. And it's only now in like, you know, recent times where the West does these things because obviously human rights are more protected and things like that. But they weren't always like that. They were not always perfect. They are not perfect as well. I mean, you guys know what's happening in the States. You know, women being like, you know, removed of their abortion rights or, you know, governors going back on the laws that were passed to make sure that LGBTQ plus A kids and people are protected and, you know, thrive in their environment. They're still going back on that. So the root or the seed is still the same. <laughs> it's just, you know, a different, you know, kind of tree that they put up. But 
it's still the same. So I think y'all, yeah, y'all need to think about that. Um, and just talk about like carving a space more for, you know, other people and making sure that it's not just African or not just Nigerian, but it includes Caribbean people too. This is the book that I'm talking about now. Um, but yeah, that was a really interesting, you know, little, little chapter and stuff like that. And I think they really did touch upon some topics that I am very, very passionate about. I think you will realize that as I talk on and on to myself, but I am talking to you, just know that I wouldn't be recording it if I wasn't. Um, and yeah, I think it was a very good read, especially after I've finished uni and how I can find experiences that I relate to. I would recommend that you should read this before you go to uni so you have some kind of context or some kind of understanding. I'm not saying what exactly is in the book is going to happen to you because everyone is different, you know, we're not all the same. But I do think it's interesting to see how someone's university journey journey was and how someone who has succeeded in that and has managed to graduate and you know do something for themselves these two authors you know amazing black women chelsea and Ore, and just to see how that has worked you know for them um but yeah obviously there's also the epilogue but again y'all need to go buy their book um and yeah i'm just I'm just here to make sure that more people are aware of the book. It came out long ago in like 2019, um, 2018, I think. Um, but yeah, I still think it's a very, very important read. And I do think that every black girl before they go to uni, or even if they are in uni, or even if they've graduated, y'all need to read this so that y'all understand the kind of spaces that you are working in and how your feelings are validate are valid and they can be validated as well but they are valid and they are not not unique but they are not unusual basically and that there is a space for you you have to you know sometimes create that space for yourself but there is a space for you and you need to do the work to make sure that you are comfortable and that you succeed because at the end of the day if you want to be successful and have that you know that degree in your name and sign that paper that's on you to do the work to make sure that your experience was you know worthwhile and it was not just about the books it was not just about the partying but it's, a, it's about all the memories that you make in between and yeah just making sure that you had a a worthwhile time and a time that allows you to grow in the most you know in the most conducive environment and even if the conducive environment is not there for you there is a chance and a time and a place for you to create it so that is why i think you should read this book um i hope you guys enjoyed my review i love these kinds of books um yeah i think you know you can always be a better human at the end of the be a better human at the end of the day um but yeah i really did you know enjoy this i'm really passionate about it i even wrote notes guys <laughs> um but yeah that's all for me let me know please let me know your thoughts in the bottom question i think on spotify they have that but if you have my socials just let me know what you thought about the episode i'd really love to get your thoughts and to see maybe if i should do this again you never know mm -hmm. so yeah but that's it that's all for me have a good day have a good week and have a good life and i'll see you on the next one and again, your girl will be back. Consistency will be her middle name this year. So yeah, have a good one.